you have a Bible, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. As we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians, today we're going to talk about a minister's right to receive support. And uh, I think we have an outline I wanted to show you guys just to kind of give you a little roadmap of where we're going. And so, believe it or not, like I was thinking, Lord, what is, how does today's study really help the people? And of course, anytime we can get into the Word and understand the Word, that in and of itself is sufficient, you know? But, you know, we, we live in a world now where, you know, you go to church and, you know, you give your offering your, your donation, and then hopefully what that does is support the pastor. He cleans the building. He does hospital visits. He's available 24-7 for people who are, you know, going through things, uh, teaching the word. A lot of different things go on, you know. And so uh, we've always done it that way, but is it biblical? And so we'll see today that a minister does have a right to receive support. And we're going to look at the apostle argument, the, the logical argument, and then the scriptural argument. Uh, Paul's going to talk about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But then, uh, the latter portion of the chapter, we're going to see a minister's right not to receive support. And so sometimes there are certain situations, like it was there in Corinth, where he might say, you know what, uh, because of the fact that I'm an evangelist and it would hinder the gospel, uh, I'm not going to do it this time. Or because, like Paul's case in Corinth, he was a servant to all, for him, as he's being led by the Spirit, he said, no, that won't work there in that setting. And so you might wonder, well, what, what, what's the principle behind all this? Well, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, they all talk about the principle of love, and that is laying down your rights for the sake of the gospel. Like in chapter 8, where you guys here last week, we talked about the fact that if you wanted to eat meat offered to idols, you could. That, that's our right but we'll lay it down if that causes my brother to stumble. And so here we're going to see Paul's right to receive uh, remuneration, but he lays it down because there were some weak brothers in Corinth. And so that's the principle. Ultimately, coming back to this, you guys, may we never forget that we live for the Lord. For me to live is Christ. That you know, it's not about, you know, necessarily just having fun or getting stuff or being, you know, a good time. Although those, those are great things. Ultimately, I, I want souls to be saved. I want people to be strong Christians. That's why my heart beats. And we're going to see that was Paul's heart. And I think that sometimes people, what they do is they say, well, that's for the pastor. That's for the preacher. That's for the evangelist. That's for people who get paid. But I, I hope and pray, you guys, all of you here that we would all have that heart. I can point out people to you in this church who have uh, brought people to Christ, that people that they work with. They, they share the gospel with them at work, and next thing you know, they get saved. They're here at church now or whatever. They are going to a different church. Why? Because they have that heart wherever they are, whatever the day is, you wake up in the morning, and it's all about Jesus. And it's not just for pastors. My prayer is that we would know it's for all of us, okay? And so uh, many of us here realize that we've been saved to serve, that God's given us grace so that we can give the gospel out to others, right? Now, most of the time, the gospel can be shared more effectively if the pastor is freed up to minister, right? But sometimes, and we're going to see in Paul's case in Corinth, the, the gospel would be shared more effectively 
if he worked a secular job, and we're going to see in Corinth that he was a tent maker. Paul was convinced of that while he was there, and so he chose to deny himself, deny his right to eat meat, deny his right to be paid for preaching, and some would even say he denied his right, really in one sense, to get married uh, because of the fact that he lived for the Lord and he died to himself for his God-given duties. Not very many people do that, but Paul is the guy that says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he set himself as a pattern. And so here in 1 Corinthians, uh, we're going to see that it all is kind of woven together with this whole uh, law of love. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, this chapter deals with Paul's policy of financial support, and it appears to be, at first glance, an interruption to his discussion of meat offered to idols. But actually, it's not an interruption. It is an illustration of the very principles that he presents in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10. Paul used himself as an illustration of the mature use of liberty. He was free to receive financial support from the Corinthian church, yet he set aside that right in order to achieve a higher goal. And so we see a minister's right to receive support and I kind of have a hunch that some didn't say it was okay. We shouldn't pay him. We shouldn't pay the guy. Have him get a job. Some had that you know, belief. But Paul begins by sharing, hey, it's okay for them to be paid. And he begins, first of all, just with the title, with the, uh, as an apostle. Look at verse 1. He says, I, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless, or without a doubt, I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Some would say, well, you, you don't pay the guy. We know him. We know his freckles. We know his flaws. Paul had been there in Corinth for 18 months. Have you guys ever heard that saying, familiarity breeds contempt? We know him. He's close. He's just a man. You know, nothing special. Why are you going to pay him? And Paul here basically says, well, you're going to see it's okay. I have the right to be paid. I'm an apostle, you know, and he shares that with them because I think that there were some who were even challenging that in his life. An apostle, think about it, is someone who is sent by Jesus. This is who he was, right? Paul had been called and commissioned by none other than Christ on the road to Damascus. God made him an apostle, and as far as I'm concerned, he's one of the twelve. So one day when we're there in heaven in Jerusalem, when we see the foundations and the names of the apostles are there, we're going to see Paul uh, as one of them. And we read the uniqueness of his calling in Galatians 1.1, where the Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so most people, when they have a title or position in life, it happens through a man, right? They go to a church, they go to school, they get ordained, someone lays hands on them. For Paul, it wasn't through a man. It wasn't from a man. For Paul, it was directly from Christ. Unfortunately, there were some in Corinth who challenged that, who questioned his calling, who came against him and said, he's not an authentic apostle. But Paul, you know, clearly was. He says right here, I've seen the risen Lord, which according to Acts one twenty two is one of the qualifications 
of an apostle. He mentions that in 1 Corinthians 15, 8. Then last of all, he, Jesus, was seen by me also as one born out of due time. And so he was an apostle confirmed even by the fact that he was the vessel God used, think about it, to plant the church in Corinth. That's what he says right there. In verse 2, if I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He says in verse 1 even, are you not, are you not my work in the Lord? And so think about it, on a day and age where he wasn't building on another man's foundation, I mean, he was pioneering into new territory, uncharted waters, you know, and he went when there was not a church there whatsoever, and he dug and he planted the word of God, and a church came from that. And so, you know, is this crazy? Don't you think it's crazy that they would question his calling, that they would come against him? But that's the way the enemy operates. False teachers that come into the church trying to weaken it and trying to take Paul out of the equation. To me, it's sad. But Paul here says, you guys are, are my seal. You're my confirmation that the, the certifying sign of my God-given ap- apostolic authority. You know, some pastors, it's kind of interesting when you go to their churches and they might have a big church or they may be, you know, stepped into a church that's already in existence. You go into their office and you see their ordination, you know, a certificate on the wall. And uh, only the Lord knows, though, um, if they're really ordained by God. You know, it's not the certificate. It's the people. And now here's this church. And Paul says, you're my ordination certificate. You're the evidence. You're the seal of my apostleship. You know, to me it's sad and it breaks your heart to see after all that the Lord had done through Paul, people getting saved, people getting sanctified, people getting raised up and trained and all that kind of stuff. It's just so sad the false teachers came in and denied that he was an apostle. And so um, some of you guys know the whole purpose of 2 Corinthians was kind of dealing with that issue as he wore his heart on his sleeve and he was just kind of defending his ministry, even though he should have never had to do that. But uh, he came to that point because not everybody understood. And so Paul here, in sharing that, you know, yes, uh, uh, the truth is I'm worthy in one sense to receive remuneration that pastors are, apostles are. He gives the first argument, the apostle argument. And then secondly, we have the logical argument. In verse 3, notice what he says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? And so first is like the apostle argument, I guess you could say. And then secondly is the logical argument. Paul says, uh, you know, you guys are here. Imagine having like a potluck, if you could. It's kind of weird. And the pastor comes in and you say, no, you you can't have any. Imagine that. That would be awful, (laughs) I think. You know, but we don't have any right to eat and drink. Peter gets paid. Their families are taken care of. 
You know, same with James and Jude. They were the brothers of Jesus. But Paul had planted the church. Now you're supporting these guys. And again, maybe it's because they got to know Paul really well and he became old news. Now Peter's a new guy. And they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, pay him. But, and, and then, you know, Paul is the same man. It doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Is it logical to you that just Barnabas and I have to work every day and night for free? Does that sound right? I mean, we're there for all the hospital calls. We're there. You know, for the most part, what pastors are, we're like the first responders. We're like the ER. You know, we don't really get to go and do all the things that a lot of people get to do. Why? Because we're trying to help those who have fallen, those who are hurting. I mean, there's a different, it's a different dynamic. So it, we're never, there's never really a day off. Never. There's always something going on. We are, we are warriors in a war. Now who in the world would ever send a soldier to war and tell him he's got to pay the freight for his own fight? Think about that. It's just not logical. We're farmers in the field. And you know some people might look at that and think, well, it's easy being a pastor. All he does is go into the office and read his Bible and pray. No, man, there's a lot of heavy, heavy toil. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of spiritual battles that go on. The enemy hits us. The enemy hits our wife. The enemy hits our families. I mean, it's not as easy as you might think. It's like digging holes. And if you guys who dig holes, you know that's just not easy. It's not easy being a farmer. You know, being a shepherd, tending to sheep. I mean, uh, you guys study really the history of that and just the way that it all works and fighting off all the wolves and all that kind of stuff. And Paul is saying that the logical argument is that you would offer them remuneration, that if you really want them to do a good job, you would free them up from other secular responsibilities so that they could do this one more effectively. They can clean the, the building. They can, you know, go to, to Sam's Club. They can get the Bible studies, you know, organized, the administrative responsibilities, all the things that are needed to be done for, for a church. You know, when I used to work in produce, I was around a lot of good uh, fruit and so I remember putting the berries in the basket or bagging the grapes, stacking the apples, uh, cutting the melons. And my managers always allowed me to eat the fruit. Here he says, man, you, you know, who would be there, you know, planting a, a vineyard and not eat of its fruit? My managers always let me eat the fruit. I think the reason they did is because they said, you know, make him work faster. I think that's what they were thinking. <laughs> You know, but um, I think at the end of the day, uh, it was just them being cool. I mean, here you are, you're, you're working hard. It doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't partake of that fruit. You know, who plants a vineyard and, and doesn't eat fruit? Paul, Silas, and these guys were, they were warriors in the war. You may think it's easy uh, being a, a leader, being on staff, being a pastor. You know, just think about the one that the enemy would love to take down. What does the Bible say? Smite the shepherd, scatter the sheep. So it may not be as easy as you think. We're warriors in the war. We're farmers in the field. We're shepherds in the flock. That's what he says there in verse 7, or who tends a flock. And imagine, you know, you're tending the flock and, and does not drink of the milk of the flock. You know, and that means to feed uh, the flock and lead the flock and take care of the flock. And Jesus said that's 
what good shepherds do. If you're really a good Christian shepherd, then you are called to lay down your life for the sheep. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I would love to be a pastor one day. Well, that's what God is calling you to do, to lay down your life for the sheep. And so here, as Paul is sharing, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't take care of him. And he gives the, the reasons for remuneration, the apostle argument, the logical argument, and then most importantly, the scriptural argument. Look at verse 8. He says, Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? You know, for our sakes, no doubt. This is written, That he who plows should plow in hope, And he who threshes in hope should be partakers of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? If you skip down to verse 13, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things in the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And so, you know, guys, as a church, it's good for us not just to do things because it's always been done that way. You know, why is it that we give and the pastors are on staff or different things like that? And now you know it's scriptural. This is why we do what we do, right? Paul is just saying it's that's in the Bible, and he quotes Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, where the Bible says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. I think that's cruel if you think about it. But Paul says it's much more than an animal rights issue. This is a principle from the scriptures that if someone is working hard like an ox in the field all day long, I mean, it would be wrong to forbid grain. To, to, to support that person. And Paul here says, is it just oxen he's talking about? Let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever heard that saying, uh, you can't teach an uh, old dog new tricks? Have you guys ever heard that saying? Now, is that just for dogs? No, it's not just for dogs, right? It's for people, all right? How many of you old dogs here? No, I'm just joking. I don't want to say that. <laughs> you know, I've noticed that when you're a Christian, it doesn't matter how old you are. God has a way of kind of still being able to break us of our mold, you know? But the general truth is it's harder, right, to teach an older person who's set in their ways, who has their habits, something new. So anyways, he's using kind of the same illustration here. It's not just for oxen. It's for people. You would never muzzle an ox while it's treading out grain. And, and so, we know, the same truth is taught. Paul shares that verse in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 in the pastoral epistle. And then also in Galatians 6, 6, the same principle, that him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And so all we're saying is it's okay for the, the pastor to, to get paid, for the guys on staff to get paid. A church our size, in all reality, we should have four people, four pastors on staff. But we're going to see later that, 
You know, a lot of you guys, man, thank you so much because you give. You give. You tithe. Um, God has blown me away with this church. I'm so blessed. But if you, if you haven't been giving, then I want to encourage you to start and to ask God to bring you to a place where you give the way that God wants you to. And we'll talk more about that because when that happens, then we can get more work done, more souls saved, more people sanctified, because really it's all about that. And that's what we're talking about right here, right? And so, you know, we find Paul here says it's an, it's an apostle argument, it's a logical argument, it's a scriptural argument. And he mentions the priests there in verse 13. Again, look what he says. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? You know, and so you would go there in those days and you would give your sacrifice and a portion would be given to God, maybe burned as an offering, and then some would go to the priest and his family. Others would go maybe back to them, depending on what type of, of offering it was. You know, and you guys do that with us. It's kind of cool. Some of you here, you give me chicken mole and uh, you know stuff like that. So it's kind of like that in one sense. But, but what he's saying is, hey, it's, it's biblical. You know, you got the passage in Deuteronomy. You got the example of the way they supported the priests in the Old Testament. And someone might say, well, what about the New Testament? Well, we've already referred to 1 Timothy 5 and Galatians 6. But Paul here in verse 14 points out that even Jesus commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And in Matthew 10, 9 through 10, the Bible says, Jesus said, Provide neither gold nor silver nor copy in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. Why? For a worker is worthy of his food. Right? And so there's a chicken mole. Luke chapter 10, verse 7. And he says, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. And that's from the lips of our Lord. And so I want to encourage you guys. You know, one of the things we don't do here is, is beg for money. We don't. God has always blown me away in the way that he's provided for us. But just think, if you gave, if we gave the way that we should. Um, I was uh, talking to someone about this, and they say, well, you don't really talk much about money. And if you guys have been here for a long time, you guys know that I don't really talk a lot about money. But I should, huh, every once in a while. Because who knows, maybe there's someone here who's a new Christian, they don't have a clue on how that works. Well, I believe, personally, that I believe that, you know, you should give God, like, the most, as much as you can. Like, uh, I like to word it this way. The fat of the firstborn. You give him the best of the best. We are to give to God off the top and not the leftovers. I would say minimum your goal should be, I'm going to give to God 10%. You know, and you get a certain amount in and you give first check you write or whatever, you give it to the Lord. Malachi says when you do that, God will bless you beyond your wildest imagination. God will open the windows of heaven and it will rain down blessings on you that you won't be able to hold in. Blessings that go far beyond any monetary value. You know, but, but a lot of times what happens is this, that we, we get ourselves in a place where we can't give 10% because we bought all these things. And we got all these things and we never factored in 
to give to God what belongs to God. And so if you're a young person here and you're just starting off, I encourage you, you know, don't, don't buy that car. Don't put yourself in a place or whatever where you can't give 10%. You know, you want to budget everything around the Lord. Think about it. Unless you, give, unless you keep 90%, right? And if you are here and let's just say you kind of find yourself in a spot where, man, I don't know if I can do this. All I would say is, is try to work yourself to that place where eventually you can give at least 10%. You know, Luke chapter uh, 11, I wrote it in my hand. Luke 11, verse 42, Jesus said you should have tithed. Yeah, tithing at least. These you ought to have done and left the others not undone. And so if they had to tithe in the Old Testament, why, how much more so? after God was murdered for us on a cross in the New Testament. And so tithing is where you start. Tithing is like training wheels. Tithing is learning to ride a bike. And then as you continue to grow in your relationship with the Lord, He'll lead you and guide you on where you can then give more. They call them offerings. That's why we call it tithes and offerings. And the reason we do it during worship is because we consider it an act of worship, okay? And so I just want you guys to know that because if we're not careful, we can find ourselves uh, forgetting about this. Like in Nehemiah chapter 13, if you would turn there to Nehemiah 13, and Nehemiah was such a great leader and he saw this problem in the people of Israel and he dealt with that issue and he challenged them in this area. Nehemiah chapter 13 in verse 10 he says, I also realized that the portion for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. Now that's interesting. You know, here he's talking about the priests and you should have paid the priests and the singers. But they had to go back and get a secular job. Why? because they weren't giving the way they should have been giving. He says, I, I realize that the portion for the Levites had not been given them, for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. And so I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their place. And then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. Nehemiah, man, not afraid to contend with them and say, hey, these guys shouldn't be over there working secular jobs. These guys should be provided for by you, the priests and the singers. And so just that's between you and the Lord. One thing, I, I don't check uh, who gives what. I don't know any of that. We've got other guys that do that. That's between you and the Lord. But remember, one day you're going to give an account of your stewardship. I haven't always been perfect at this, but it's always been a conviction in my heart and sometimes things happen. You might have a medical bill. You might have something happen. You know, you need a new roof or whatever the, and things kind of throw you and, you know, and you're out of whack, but you always try to get back to that place where you give to God off the top, the fat of the firstborn, the best of the best and not just the leftovers after Starbucks and eating out all month long. Okay? All right, I'm sorry. Okay, let's go back. 
<laughs> Let's go back to um, our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. A minister's right to receive support, the apostle argument, the logical argument, the scriptural argument. But then we get a minister's right not to receive support. And notice what Paul says. We skipped it earlier, but we go back now to 1 Corinthians 9 in verse 12b. He says, nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. In verse 15, he says, but I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have found nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. And so Paul here, we're going to see, first of all, gives his reason more along the line, I would call it an evangelist argument. Now, like I said earlier, and I know it may be a little hard to kind of figure out, but there were some people in Corinth, and that was the culture, where they would go and they were itinerant preachers in it for the wrong reason. They were prophets for profit. And Paul says, I don't want to associate myself with that, with them in Corinth, it wouldn't be right for me to receive remuneration. It would hinder the gospel. That's what he says in verse 12. But we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel. And we've already talked about the fact that the gospel is what it's all about. That's our life. And so generally speaking, biblically speaking, Paul had the right to receive support. We've already established that fact. But in certain churches, like Corinth, he refrained from that right because he the, the, the sensed it would hinder the gospel. And so when he arrived in Corinth, you guys might remember the whole uh, thing. Paul got there. He met up with Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers because the Jews always taught their sons, go to school and learn a trade. And so he was a tent maker, and he was able to support himself. Remember, there's no church yet. And so here he is, he's working, he's preaching, he's working, he's preaching. People start getting saved, a church gets established, and he just continues to work. And if the day ever came where the finances weren't there, or if there was some type of sweeping cultural movement in, you know, Almani, and I had to work, that's fine. You know, we just have to make sure that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, right? When Paul arrived there, according to Acts chapter 18, verse 3, they were tent makers. And he did the same thing in Ephesus and Thessalonica. But he didn't always do that. You know, it's interesting, even while he was there in Corinth, he received financial aid from other churches. Second Corinthians 11.8, it says, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And we know the same thing is true in the book of Philippians 4:15 through 16, how this church was a generous church, and they, and they gave to him. And so this was where he was at in Corinth, not paid by them. And he's not writing this so that he can now be paid by them because he says, I'd rather die than that happen. I want to be free to preach the gospel. As a matter of fact, he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. 
How many of you guys feel that way? Woe is you if you don't preach the gospel. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, that's just for evangelists, or that's just for pastors. No, it's for all of us. Paul thought that if he didn't share Jesus, then Jesus was going to deal with him. And I kind of feel the same way. Aren't you grateful for what the Lord has done for you? I mean, he was nailed to a cross. All your sins were placed on him. He suffered this uh, horrible punishment, separated from his father, dying for us. Imagine that. And so now we're afraid to share the gospel. When was the last time you shared with somebody? And I was thinking, I don't know what's going on with, with Kanye West, but you know, uh, you guys kind of heard, any of you guys hear about what's going on with him, just out of curiosity? You're like, I don't know. Okay, well, listen. I mean, you know, God can save him. God can save Kim Kardashian. God can save anyone. Somebody started telling him about Jesus. And now, uh, the thing that trips me about, about him, and I'll just say this again, time will tell if it's real. I'm not saying he's real. Only God knows, right? But, but here's the thing. He seems more bold than most Christian artists nowadays. Sometimes you listen to these so-called Christian artists and you wonder if they're Christian artists. Kanye West, he is not ashamed of the name of Jesus, at least not now anyways. So again, I'm not laying hands on him or anything, but all I'm saying is don't be afraid, man. That's why your heart beats. It's not just so you can have fun. It's not just that you can have stuff. It's so that you can somehow, some way, be a part of getting the gospel out to save people. And Paul here says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. If I do it willingly, cool, thumbs up. And how many of you here, sometimes you're like, I, I feel like it. I feel like sharing the gospel. Some of you here, right? Do you ever not feel like it? You're like, well, not today. I don't really feel like it. You ever do that? <laughs> the Holy Spirit's saying, but do it anyways. Paul here says, even if I don't feel like it, it's okay because I have a responsibility. I have a stewardship. And that's the way we should be. I just want to come to that place in my life where I freely share the gospel. I'm not going to charge for it. You know, imagine if Paul the Apostle charged, like, you know, whatever, $100, uh, you know, to preach the gospel. Man, he, some places couldn't afford him. So he would just go. It's crazy, you guys. And I will tell you this. And nowadays, there are some preachers out there. They tell you, I won't go preach at your church unless there's 400 people there. Or I won't go preach at your church, minimum of, you know, and they give you amount of money, whatever, you know, $500, $5,000. And it's just crazy. Paul here says, listen, I won't function that way. N number one reason he didn't do it in Corinth, it would be hindering the gospel. It was an evangelist issue. But the number two reason he didn't do it is because of the fact that he was a servant. It was a servant issue. Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant. There it is. A servant to all that I might win the more. So think about that. A servant to all. You know what that means? That means that next time you go to In-N-Out and that person is there and the Holy Spirit's telling you to share Jesus with them or invite them to Truth or Treat or whatever, invite them to church, you're, you're their servant. 
He says, I'm a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. Again, here's the reason, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak. This is interesting, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partakers of it with you. And together, as all these things are going on, you're praying, you're you're serving, you're giving, you're sharing. People are getting pulled out of the flames of hell because of you the the jew uh, that one who's under the law you're like okay you know i i respect that and you know like hudson taylor going to china you know he's not saying hey i'm hudson taylor you know do things my way my american way no what does he do he dresses up like them he becomes one of them why so that he could win them to the lord and win them to the lord he did you know, like t- that time I dressed up like a, a vato and I went down to the gangs to minister to them, right? The Lord protected me, but man, what a night it was. You know, and so, you know, and then you go to the one without law. And so, you know, you can go and you can, you know, Paul was a Jew, but he didn't have a problem eating a bacon cheeseburger. Why? Because he wanted to win them to the Lord. You know, to the weak, it's interesting, he became weak. Now, the weak, now, we're talking about Christians. To the weak, do you know a weak Christian? And it could be somebody maybe who's a little legalistic, or it could be somebody who's just not strong in the faith. Maybe they're just a new believer. All I know is that, man, you just go and you love on them and you minister to them. You know, you're not necessarily someone that you're not, but you're willing to modify yourself to such an extent because you love them so much that you just want to make them stronger. God, use my life to help the, the, the Jew, the, the, the non-Jew, the one un, not under the law. I won't compromise, but I'm willing, Lord, to do whatever it takes. My life is all about winning the loss to the Lord and helping people get stronger as committed followers of Jesus Christ. And I won't get swept up in this world that wants to distract me with all their duties. And you guys come. And you're here on a Sunday. And you're praying. And your kids are being poured into. And you're giving. What a wonderful work. Mark always says it. And I believe it with all my heart. The labor of love here at Calvary Chapel. We're not perfect. But we're sincere. We care. We're learning how to love. We're learning how to connect the dots. But as you guys don't know, you guys don't hear, people come up all the time to accept the Lord, rededicate their life. Throughout the week, so many things are happening. But, you know, like everyone else, and like every church, you just want more. Lord, what's next? What happens if everybody get, gets all in? What happens? And that's what Paul is sharing right here. The, the servant's argument. You know, why do we do this? Because we want to win more. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. 
you know, uh, this last week was kind of cool. You know, was it this last week? I was able to go to Charter Oak High School with Ryan Reese, and the Lord's opened doors for him to share the gospel there in these high schools. Hundreds of kids are getting saved every single time. And so when he does the altar call, it's interesting what he'll do is he'll say, any of you here an atheist? Come on up. I'm going to show you that God is real. You know, and he just says, if you pray this prayer in all sincerity, Jesus Christ will come into your life. And it was kind of cool. This last week, one of the kids was wearing a, a T-shirt with a pentagram on it. And so Ryan asked him, are you an atheist? And, and she said, yes. And so he said, watch what happens right now when you ask Jesus Christ into your heart. And it was just so cool because she prayed. She experienced the presence of God. And you know what she did with that T-shirt or that top? She went home and she burned it. And she said, I'm going to live my life for Christ. And it's just so amazing. Then, you know, Ontario High School, uh, kind of all these things, we're all a part of that. We're able to give to the whosoever's or support them or pray for them. This is what it's all about. I tell Ryan that all the time. You know, you're, to me, the epitome of Proverbs 11.30, to win souls. He who wins souls is wise. And so I'm asking the Lord, and I pray you guys are asking the Lord, what can we do different, more effectively, Lord, to win people to you. I need to be all things to all men. That's why whenever I go with Ryan, I dress up really cool. <laughs> I wear my hat backwards. I'm just joking. <laughs> we have to be all things to all men. Sandy Adams said this, you are not going to win many bikers to Jesus wearing a business suit. Don't try to be something you're not. But be flexible enough to sing the words of the gospel to the beat of the music your audience enjoys. And I like that. Why? 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 Why do I do? Why do you do that? I just want people to get saved. Don't forget, that's what it's all about. You know, some say, well, it's not about winning or losing. And when it comes to the games, that's true. I still love the Dodgers. It's not about that. But when it comes to the gospel and people, I think it is all about that. Winning people to Christ. Don't forget. Don't forget that. Don't get caught up in your own life that you lose sight of what it's really all about. And as you ask God to, to lead you and he'll, he'll, he'll guide you, um, it's amazing what will happen, how things will change, how there's these paradigm shifts that happen in people's lives. And so what I thought we could do before we close is maybe take another offering. No, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. <laughs> Lock the doors, Fernando. No. <laughs> it's funny. and You know, I've talked to other pastors about this. Xavier said the same thing. Whenever you preach on giving, ties always go down. But it's okay. It, <laughs> our responsibility just to give you the word and what you guys do with it is totally up to you. But if you're here, especially if you're here and you're struggling with drugs or alcohol or pornography, or maybe you're here and, you know, just you feel an emptiness inside, you try to fill that void with relationships or money and the things that money can buy, and you have everything and you're still empty, I, I want to encourage you today, the only one that can fill the void is Jesus. Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if anyone comes to me, I'll never turn them away. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. He did all the work dying on the cross for you. If you're here today and you're struggling and you don't know how to get out, I want you to know the way and the truth and the life is Jesus. Don't play games. Don't play church. Because you'll never really experience the miraculous supernatural power of God if you do that. Fully surrender your heart to Him today. You can do that. You know who you are. There are some of you here today and you know you're not surrendering. You're not yielding to Him. Or you know you're not saved. Don't leave the same way you came. Right here, right now, I encourage you. Give Jesus.